Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. I'm Marcello Rolando, your host. You know we love gathering reasonable voices to talk to and discuss uh, issues of the day, and today is no exception. This afternoon we're speaking with Jody Saunders, who is the communications specialist for Albemarle County, Virginia. How are you today, Jody? Very well, sir. How are you? I'm just terrific, thank you, and glad to talk to you. I think this is a first for us to have a conversation, although you've been here a while, yes? Going on three years. Okay. Let's give a little more information about Jody Saunders. She brings nearly 15 years of marketing, branding, and design expertise to her role as the communications specialist for Albemarle County. She oversees the Albemarle County website. Uh, I did mention Albemarle County for everyone is in Virginia. Uh, and Charlottesville, Virginia is within the county of Albemarle. As she's, uh, she oversees the media relations, which is why I guess she's talking to me, uh, the e-newsletter, which is called A-Mail for Albemarle, and social media. She also designs publications and highly visible marketing materials, including reports, brochures, and advertisements. So once again, good afternoon, Jody, and welcome to The Reasonable Voices. Having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. How, uh, um, how is, well, you know, I have to say, only because my dog is with me in the studio today, what's your dog's name? Uh, Olive. Olive. How, uh-huh. how interesting. That's a great name. What, what, yeah. what, how did you come up with that? Uh, I don't know. She, we um, rescued her from a local shelter, uh-huh. and um, she was an adult when we got her, and she's She's very low energy, um, to put it politely. Uh-huh. We, we, she's more of a potato than a than a dog, <laughs> and so um, I I just thought uh, maybe a more classic name would be good for for somebody who who's so refined and low energy. So. <laughs> I love it. Okay. <laughs> Well, we, you know, winter is upon us, sort of. I don't know what to say about the climate, whether it's climate change or not. The weather certainly seems to be uh, newsworthy to the extreme. But uh, are they, I mean, one of the things I think uh, Albemarle County 
government and and uh, your area in particular will cover is keeping the public abreast of uh, what they need to do to be safe, among other things. And with the winter weather and weather changing so much, people going back and forth to various energy sources, I guess, are there any special needs, um, things we should look out for? I know uh, the holiday season has just passed, but, but Christmas trees are probably still up and decorated and drying out. Well, let's start there. You know, one of the, the services of, of your local government is to provide protection services. So, of course, our you know our police and our fire rescue personnel are, are ready to assist should you need it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the best case scenario for everybody is to try to prevent emergencies and the need for those services. So, sure. so yeah, you know, keeping an eye on your tree, making sure while it's up that it's still watered, or you know, taking it down when it's when you know, in a, in a timely fashion, Christmas trees are remarkably flammable. Yes. But then again, you know, just in general, cooking, you know, being safe when you're cooking, um, whether it's the holidays or not, um, making sure that you're, you're caring for your fireplace safely, those kinds of things, you know, making sure that you clean it annually, um, that you're burning wood that is um, dry and seasoned, that you, you know, you know how to work your flu, those kinds sure. of things. Sure. The flu can be uh, a real challenge. I know that it needs to be cleaned. Uh, I mean, you have to take care of things, so they take care of you, I guess, is the point I'm trying to make. What about candles? I say that because uh, someone I have met, I don't really know her that well, but I met her at a University of Virginia reception, and it seems that in blowing out a candle, her hair caught on fire. Oh, wow. Yes. What is that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I I just wonder, and I mention it because as you and I are talking about, you know, how we heat our homes, the fireplace, uh, this fire Christmas trees. Do you have any um, information or any experience with or hearing from emergencies that can be started by candles, even blowing them out? I don't have any first-hand anecdotal um, stories to tell you about candles, but I can tell you that the National Fire Protection Association um, has reported that candles started about 38% of home fires. Wow. Uh, yeah, so that's a pretty big percentage. Uh, and that, I believe that was a, a, a number from 2014. Mm-hmm. So, And then in December alone, uh, half over half of December home decoration fires were started by candles. Um, so so that number increases in the month of December. So, yeah, keeping an eye on your candles and apparently keeping an eye on, on where you're located as you blow them out. Yes. The other sort of surprising um, fire hazard that I've, I've heard of a couple times over the last probably six weeks mm-hmm. are, um, for example, if you have a cell phone and you have a, it, like for me, I have a charger in my kitchen. Yes. Um, and if you leave the charger plugged in, but you don't have your phone plugged into it, um, that's more energy and more electricity than that charger can really handle. Oh. It needs to go to the source that it's meant to charge. So long story short, um, any of those sorts of, of, charging devices, if you're not actually using them, unplug them. 
you know, I've heard that sort of thing, not, not specifically about chargers, but about uh, appliances. If you're not using them, they, they can back up on that energy, and so just unplug them if you're not using them. But I, I never thought about that with a phone charger. I do unplug mine, I'm happy to say, but not because I knew it was so important to do so. So thanks for sharing that. Goodness. Yeah, yeah, I know. So I had, that, that was a surprise to me as well. Now it's it's a the new norm in my house is to unplug those chargers. Mm. But you know, and as I tell my my friends and family this this you know, and I share this knowledge, um, so many people actually have, for example, their chargers plugged in by their bedside table, and you know the the outlet is is under the bed or, you know, behind the bed and difficult to reach. So um, I don't have a good solution for that, but, but I encourage people to be mindful of, of you know, plugging where their cords are and, and yes. you know. Does that translate to also to the uh, the phone charger in, in your car? Is there concern? Because, of course, I disconnect my phone when I get out of the car and take the phone with me, but the charger is still plugged in. Is that... I- I would assume so. I don't know that for sure, but I would guess that that's probably also true. Because, mm. okay, well, thank you. (laughs) Boy, am I glad I had you on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about, I mean, all of these things are important. And again, the couple of surprises already you've given me. So, um, but what about, I still hear one of the number one causes of fire anytime in a home is how we heat the home. And and we've talked about fireplace, we've talked about candles, but um, are space heaters still? Uh, because I thought they were being made so so safe now to use. Is that just a, a myth? Well, I, I I would not say that that um, space heaters are, are unsafe to use, but I think they're the idea is um, I think part of the hazard with with um, space heaters is the proximity that you put them to, for example, maybe a dried out plant or yeah. your curtains or even the wall. Or if you're, if you, it, it's highly recommended not to use an extension cord with, um, yeah. with those heaters either. So, you know, plugging it directly into the power source and then, you know, being aware of it. So don't leave your house yeah. unattended when you have a, a, a space heater plugged in. Um, so I, I don't, I don't like I said. I, I don't think it that I would say that space heaters are unsafe. They're, um, they're you know a really useful little device. Yes. But they but they need to be treated with respect and 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 um, you know care. <laughs> so, so I guess the bottom line is it's not the space pe- heater. It's the uh, it's the person using it. That that's who has to be careful. It's like it's it's not the car that causes the accident, but the person who's driving. So uh, exactly, they have to be responsible. I, I hear you. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of driving, how, you, you know, Albemarle County, Blue Ridge Mountains, uh, uh, Ashton, uh, Waynesboro, Stanton, all of those areas, as we drive back and forth through the various uh, four-county area, fog seems to be uh, a big issue sometimes. I, I know um, I went up to Wintergreen when I first uh, bought a home in Charlottesville, you know, I mean, I've driven in all kinds of weather. I'm from New York, for heaven's sake. And so when I get up okay. I, I get up to Winter Green, I wake up one morning, and it really is foggy. And I'd been up and down the mountain a lot. Uh, and 
I, I said, well, I'm going to go down and, and do whatever I was going to do. And the lady at the front desk said, well, I don't think it's a good idea to drive down the mountain this morning. Well, I'd been up and down every day I'd been there, and I thought, oh, no, no, I'll be okay. And for those who don't know that particular route, there are no guardrails. It's just the road and, and the mountain and you. And mm-hmm. the fog was so thick, I, I will never do that again, and I'd like to go on a record to say, don't do that. <laughs> but what about fog and ice and snow and sleet? It seems we've, we've come a long way with this pre-treating roads or whatever, but is there anything else you can add or tell us we need to do? You know, VDOT does do a great job of, of keeping our roads treated. They use the brine and they, they use the gravel and the salt and mm. the sand to help, you know, make sure that we maintain traction. But when when conditions like ice are out, you know, the best thing you can do is just stay home. Yeah. There's no there's no vehicle really that's that's appropriately equipped to to safely and assuredly get you through ice. Um Snow is, you know, maybe a slightly different store, but I think we would still recommend, particularly when we have heavy snowfall, to just stay home. But mm. the the less cars that there are on the road, the less chance that, you know, cars will end up having to be aban- uh, abandoned. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, um, it makes the, the powers drop much easier if there aren't other vehicles on the road. Yes. So they can get cleared quicker, and we can get back to our daily routines quicker. Um, if we can just be patient and, and hunker down for a while when the weather is bad. Yes. As far as fog is concerned, um, yeah, that seems like that's a that's a sneaky sort of insidious um, weather mm-hmm. situation because, you know, it's not the same as snow and ice. Your, your wheels ought to be able to, to overcome um, fog, but mm-hmm. there really is a visibility issue there. The other thing that I find often with uh, when people find themselves in a foggy situation is that they'll turn their brights on in order to try to better illuminate what's in front of them. Yeah, (laughs) it is a bad idea. If you have fog lights, those are great. Mm. But if you don't, the brights, um, that's a terrible idea. That will reflect off of the moisture in the um, atmosphere and and actually do a a worse job of, of helping you see what you need to see. So... So, but in all situations, if you can stay home, that's that's what we would recommend. Um, and if you find yourself driving in any of those situations, um, don't use your brights in, in um, heavy snow or fog. Um, and like again, I, I just can't uh, stress enough how important it is to stay off the roads if you can. Very good advice, that's for sure. Um, we um, we we haven't, it seemed, had too much, although. I was here, I think, two winters when we got two feet of snow, uh, but that's not usual for this particular mid-Atlantic area, is it? Is that normal? Uh, you know, you, you sort of alluded to this at the beginning of our conversation. Mother Nature is kind of finicky, mm. um, so I, you know, I don't know what usual is That's when it normal comes to, yeah. <laughs> to the mid-Atlantic. But, um, but yeah, we last last winter. Well, I will say traditionally, it feels to me like in our area, most of our snowfall comes actually in the later part of winter, so mm-hmm. late January, February, even into March. Yes. Um, December tends to not be so um, so white. Um, 
and and then you know it's sort of hit or miss one year i was here and it felt like we just got ice after ice after ice mm. um last year we had one pretty heavy duty weekend of you know two or three feet of snow and that was it wow. so um so you just never know i you know pay attention to your local forecasts see what's going on i would say too you know when it comes to winter weather um i would it's a good idea to keep both your home and your vehicle stocked for safety. So, mm. you know, have a good flashlight with working batteries and maybe even backup batteries in your car. Have um, the power cables, jumper cables in your car, sure. maybe a blanket, um, extra clothing. Just keep some stuff with you in case you find yourself in a, in a sticky situation and you need to stay in your car for a little while. And and same thing at home, you know, keep keep blankets and candles and, and, you know, extra food in case you lose power. You need to find a way to stay warm and, and safe in your house. I think those are two excellent points. Remember, of course, when you blow out the candle to hold your hair back away from the flame. Uh, but also, as you, you point out, people don't think about it when we're just, you get in the car and go. But if something happens while you're on the road, are you prepared to be in your car for a while until help arrives? And that's an yeah. excellent point uh, that you made. Excellent. I think we'll take a short break. We are talking to Jody Saunders, the communication specialist for Albemarle County, Virginia. And we are finding out all sorts of uh, not only holiday tips for safety, but the weather, uh, the winter, the changing weather. Um, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. I have some questions I want to ask her about uh, as New Year's Day, New Year's Eve are coming up, how to get home safely from the holiday parties. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Today's film has a brilliant cast that includes some of the finest actors of our time. Philip Seymour Hoffman, Albert Finney, Ethan Hawke, and Marissa Torme. In Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, Hoffman plays an addicted antagonist living beyond his means. His excesses lead him into a desperate plot with his brother for robbing the local jewelry store. They know the store well. They've grown up there. It's their family's store. There will be no guns, and their parents don't work on Saturday. What could go wrong? Immersing ourselves in the work of so many master craftsmen is always rewarding. Heading them up is 81-year-old veteran director Sidney Lumet, who just the year before had received Oscar's Lifetime Achievement Award. He was widely respected for his energy and his realistic, intricate, and intense storytelling. Who could forget such films as The Verdict, Twelve Angry Men, Failsafe, Dog Day Afternoon, or network. Before the Devil Knows You're Dead would turn out to be Lumet's swan song. He died at age 86 in 2011. This was his last film and surely one of his finest films, a triumphant crown on a very rich career. Indie Film Minute, not in theaters, discovery through rentals. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. My guest today is Jody Saunders, the communications specialist for Albemarle County, Virginia. We've been talking about how to stay safe year-round, for that matter, but with specific uh, focus on winter and holidays and the weather. 
I think we touched on holiday uh, decorations. We might revisit that. But just toward the end of the last segment, uh, uh, Jody mentioned something that uh, uh, I think is extremely important enough to repeat, and that is even in your car, you should have the means to be stuck in it for a while. I mean, all you have to do is watch the evening news, and and it's not hitting Albemarle County at the moment as it is in other places, but people not being able to stop and pile-ups. And if you're stuck in such a thing in your car, you have a cell that works, you're calling, somebody's coming for you, but it's not all that instantaneous necessarily, and you need to be prepared and have in the car, I I believe, Jody, you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, things like uh, batteries that work, flashlight, blankets, uh, uh, maybe even water, yes? Yeah, yes, that's a a very good point. Yeah, um, surprisingly, I think when you you think about winter travel, particularly long travel, I don't realize um, that danger of dehydration when it's actually cold out. You think of it more as a as a warm weather thing, but uh-huh. um, the cold air and wind will just suck the moisture right out of your skin and your head. And you, I mean, you really do need to stay hydrated in the winter. And if you find yourself, you know, stuck for a little while in your car, by all means, yeah, make sure you have some water. Mm. Um, and you know, I, I I bring up the the blankets and the you know just having things in your car with you, but. I can't tell you how many people I know who just don't, you know, it's, I don't want to put my winter jacket on when I'm driving. It's bulky and I'm, I'm not comfortable mm. and I'm just going to work. So, you know, I don't, I don't need it. I, I just, I'm going to park in the parking lot and run in and I'll be fine. Um, but you never, you know, if you get stuck and you don't have your coat because you thought you were just taking a quick drive. Mm. There you so are. even if you don't want to wear it, grab it and bring it with you. Um, I have in my car, uh, a little fleece blanket. I have an extra pair of mittens. Um, I have a flashlight, heavy-duty flashlight. Mm-hmm. My father-in-law actually gave me. Um, I have a scraper for my windows. Uh huh. Um, and the other, I don't have this in my car, but the other recommended thing is um, to tie a brightly colored cloth to your um, antenna, so that if you if you get in a situation where you actually need to be found. Mm-hmm. Can act as sort of an SOS. Yes. Wow. So. You know, and there, these are simple things. We just, well, we, we, we Americans in particular, I think, take a lot for granted. Uh, <laughs> and um, I, I, I have quite a few of the things you've suggested, but not necessarily because I was smart enough as you are to have thought of it ahead of time. But a winter coat, for instance, uh, with the weather we, we've mentioned a couple of times, going back and forth so much. I might, because who knows what the season's going to be these days when you go out the door. So I, I sort of tend to tend toward overdressing just in case. And I, uh, I leave a winter coat in the back seat a lot of times. And luckily yesterday, uh, it it worked for me because I when I left it was sixty some degrees, uh, and by the time I got home that night it was definitely cold enough for that coat. So. You speak great wisdom. All right. Uh, well, we, I'll tell you what. We've, we've talked so much about being, being safe and drawing attention to things that are potentially uh, quite hazardous. Let's take a moment, and, and we're going to cheer up just a little bit. Not that safety isn't a cheery thought. Jody, you grew up in California wine country. What was that like? And what, what and when brought you to Virginia? 
one country is beautiful, um, and I I love it whenever I can go back. My dad is still there, so okay. I visit as often as I can. Um, it's funny, you know, I, so I grew up in Napa, uh, Napa California, and that's a valley, mm-hmm. and it's uh, about 30 miles long, and at the widest, maybe six or seven miles, I, that's probably generous. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so you really, really know that you're in a valley. Yes. Um, and when I moved from California, I lived in um, the Willamette Valley in Oregon for a couple of years, and that that was I was like, where is I don't is this is a valley? How <laughs> hell that I was in a valley because of you know where I had grown up, and um, and then I moved to the Shenandoah Valley. Yes. And the same thing. I you know once I got out and started exploring, I I could identified that I actually was in the valley, but, mm. but because I really just grew up in a, in a tiny little teacup. Uh-huh, so I see. One of my favorite jobs ever um, was right out of high school. I, I worked on the chase crew for a hot air balloon company in oh. Napa. So that was really amazing and fun and beautiful and exciting. Well, um, and you also, um, you, you got a Bachelor of Arts in Graphic Design from James Madison University. So you've been right. you've been here a while, yes? Yeah, so I moved here, I think, in 1997. Huh. Um, and I, the reason, I, my mom's whole side of the family is on the East Coast, and I have an aunt, aunt and uncle that live in Winchester, Virginia. Oh, yeah. And, um, and so I was, you know, a good student in high school, but I didn't go to college right away. I kind of just didn't know what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. and I, I, there, I didn't have, there wasn't like a college fund, so there wasn't like this obligatory, we saved this for you, you have to go. <laughs> um, so I, I just kind of figured it would, you know, it would illuminate itself to me, whatever my, mm-hmm. my path was, um, and it did. I, mm-hmm. My aunt and uncle, um, I was 21 at the time, said, Why don't, you know, you're a bright girl, what are you doing? I was working in a coffee shop in Oregon, because that's what you do there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, why don't you come live with us, and you can go to the local community college and, you know, maybe mm-hmm. get it together. So I did. And um, I I love it. I love Virginia. Mm-hmm. I really love Virginia. Um, I still, you know, I did the community college thing, and I dabbled, but I, I, I never really figured out what the thing was. And then I started uh, an actual professional career, mm-hmm. and I, I sort of accidentally fell into marketing and kind of worked my way up in one organization and then transferred to another. And um, at that time, I was working for a, a small consultancy that specialized in healthcare, mm-hmm. and um, and they were launching a new uh, part of their business, and it was kind of this fledgling idea, and there wasn't a lot of money to to put into the design work, so they gave it to me, and I used PowerPoint, of all things, to create brochures and mm. and um, sales material, and it was really well-received, and I really enjoyed it, and that's when I knew, this is my thing. This is it, yes. So, so I was in my mid-30s when I went to JMU. Ah, um, uh-huh. Yeah. Good for you. So, I'm a recent college graduate. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not like mid thirties is so you know ancient by any means, but I think no. that's great. Good for you. I mean, you know, and I, I, I know a, a few people who've who've done that. I, I, I'll tell you something. When I finished my bachelor degree at Peabody Conservatory of Music, I remember saying this out loud. Graduated on the front steps, 
And then I thought, you know, I feel like I'm ready now to go back in and get a bachelor's degree. I know enough <laughs> to go earn yeah. this. You know what I mean? So I think taking time to find oneself. Uh, and when life finds you, that's what's so exciting. It, it isn't yeah. just we're searching for it. It's searching for us. Okay, well, <laughs> let's get back to Albemarle County and, and safety tips. But that was, I'm glad I asked that question. It's fascinating. Um <laughs> Well, uh, you know, but true, true. So, holiday parties. Mm -hmm. This, uh, this is upon us. You know, I, I've never quite been one of those who, I, I love holidays, but I, I've never quite understood why one wants to start a brand new year hungover. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, if that's your thing, getting home safely is what you and I want to impart to people today. So what are some of your tips? I know we've heard a lot of them from a lot of sources, but what, what are your, what's your take on this? What do we need yeah, to I, that's a great question. I'm glad you're asking because this is so, so important. You know, not only do you not want to start the new year hungover, but uh, you, you certainly don't want to start it dead yes. <laughs> or injured or having hurt or injured somebody else. Yes. So um, the number one thing is to plan ahead. You know, most people are, are probably already aware of what their New Year's plans are. Mm. So, you know, think strategically, you know, is this a place that you can spend the night? Because mm. that, that would be great. Then you don't have to worry about it at all. Mm -hmm. If not, you know, how can you get home safely? Um, either, you know, of course, you can always designate a, a driver. Um, but there's lots of good sources out there, too. Um, you know, call a cab. Yes. Call, you know, do Uber. Mm. Um, I know in uh, some cases there are some cab, cab companies that will actually offer free rides on New Year's. So do some research in your area. See see what the um, the cab situations are. Um, maybe have some numbers programmed in your phone. Mm -hmm. So so when the time comes and you're ready to go, you don't have to um, search for a number. Um, and then, you know, also a lot of communities will have their first night events that are uh, maybe alcohol-free. Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe consider just abstaining. Mm -hmm. um, I, know, I know that's a, maybe a little bit of a extreme thought. Idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, maybe that's how you want to ring in the years, just without a, a drop of alcohol. Exactly. Just enjoy your company and the people you're with. Well, you know, I, I lived most of my adult life in New York City, actually in Manhattan, and, of course, New Year's Eve was a big thing. And, uh -huh. and there are always people coming in town and, oh, we want to go to Times Square. And I'm going, no, you don't. But I would, you know, I would acquiesce. And But the, the good thing about or the easier thing with New York City is that the subways all ran in one direction. You know, you come in, you go out on New Year's Eve. And also one, I in particular, could walk to where I lived but when I came to Virginia to buy a home, it was in northern Virginia, and I never had to concern myself about drinking and driving. And I didn't even have a lot. I had one glass of wine at the office party, and there was a surprise sleet storm or something. And the main drive was fine. This was in northern Virginia. But when I got off the road to go to my Great uh, Falls home, the roads were slick. And yeah. all it took was just a little slip, and I went, oh, my goodness, they haven't treated the roads, because in Great Falls, they took care of us, usually first before anything else. But um, it was enough, and now I never drink 
before I, if I know I have to drive home. I just don't. It just took that one little, and I didn't even go off the road or hit it, hit anything. I think um, one has to, you know, get a designated driver or Uber or cab, as you say. But if it's just, if it's up to you, it's not worth it. Not, yeah. not a drop. Anyway, that's I agree. My I agree. So, but okay, home security while traveling—that's yeah. a biggie. Packages disappearing from your your front door, even when you're home or at work. So. Obviously, that's something when you're going to be away for a long period of time. What do you do for home security? Well, I would say, um, you know, maybe let your neighbors know that you're that you're headed out. And if, if you have a good neighbor that you trust, ask if maybe they could just keep an eye on your house mm. uh, periodically through your, your trip. Um, I would leave a light on. Mm-hmm. Um, I would... Not post all of your details on any social media. Please, yes. Goodness, how do people do that? And pictures of their children and names. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, no, you're right. So um, it's so easy to to, to burglarize your house if if the criminals can see that you're going to be at grandma's house Mm. in, in, you know, Vermont for the long week. Yes. So, yeah, be, 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 um, smart about the information that you share on, on such a, a visible platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, of course, if you have a, a home security system, yes. arm it before you go. Yes. Um, those kinds of things. Okay. Well, this this um, this is all good advice. It's been a tremendous conversation. You, How are the team there? I know I've, I interviewed Lee maybe a couple of years ago now, but how do you enjoy working with the county team? I love my job so much. I really do. Um, I didn't, you know, I came from the, the private sector. Mm-hmm. And I really, I, I entered this role with plenty of practical marketing and branding and design experience. Mm-hmm. But I was really ignorant about local government and about how much happens at a local level. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm so grateful to have the education that I've received over the last three years. Um, and, I, and I work with such passionate, <laughs> you know, civic-minded people who mm-hmm. really, really care about the community they live in. And, and I, 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 I take it as a sort of my personal quest to, to help everybody realize how much happens at a local level and, and how dedicated and, and passionate most of your local government employees are. Um, you, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. I don't live in Charlottesville full-time. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm generally only uh, here three days a week. But I love Charlottesville. I love Albemarle County. I love the contrast between the two as well as the similarities. I love driving through Earliesville and the back roads. That's how I relax. It's um, it's a beautiful area and beautiful people live here. But I know many of people in county government and as well as the city council and the uh, Albemarle County supervisors. And I, I do find that the area seems to attract some of the most dedicated people, people who are not just going to a job, but they go to a, and, and even more than a career, they go to a purpose, they go to a mission. And I, yeah. I find that, and I'm so glad to hear that you've had that experience too. Any any uh, shout-outs you want to share with us with any specific people that uh, particularly inspire you? I 
well, you know, I wouldn't know where to start um, <laughs> other than I, I have to say Lee Catlin is my, my boss. Mm. She hired me mm. and um, and she was, you know, I was new to the area when I started here and I, I had a girlfriend who was born and raised um, in this area and so she knew Lee and when I said, you know, this is the this is the job and this is the, you know, I'm, here's my second interview and she said, wow, Lee Catlin uh, is really something else. She is, she is. And, uh, and that has been the, the, my experience 100%. I really, I, I, she's taken me under her wing and I'm, I hope to <laughs> do her justice when, uh, when, when given the opportunity. Um, She's really remarkable. Yes, I, I, as I said, I've had her as a guest on the show, and uh, her reputation precedes her. She's an incredibly capable and generous with her time, and certainly dedicated and focused on our area and and its people. I guess that yeah. you know. But one last little personal note before we let you go. Did, did you get, if I'm understanding all your answers and, and the timeline that's working in my head, did you get married after you came out here? Yes, I'm actually a newlywed. I got married uh, this May. Oh, wow. Well, I yeah. got that from what you were saying. Well, you did this and you did that. And I'm going, well, and when, did the, when did this husband happen? Well, yeah. congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah, we, he was a good friend of mine for many years before we ever started dating. And, and then we dated for several years before we ever got engaged. Um, so so the marriage just sort of seemed like a, a matter of course. Sure. Um, and people keep asking me, how's married life? And I keep telling everybody, it's the same, which is good. <laughs> It's very good. <laughs> well, Uh-oh. you sound like you are a woman who has grown up taking her time to think of things through before rushing into something, to know where she is and who she is and what's important to her. That's the impression I have from this conversation that I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. Well, uh, same as me. I really <laughs> thank you so much for the opportunity to come on your show and and help spread the, the importance of uh, winter safety and holiday mm-hmm. safety and, um, and just to chat with you and get to know you a little bit. Well, I appreciate that, Jody. We have been talking to Jody Saunders, and she is, as we said, the uh, communication specialist for the Albemarle County, Virginia. It has been an excellent conversation reminding everyone about taking precautions and safety with the drying Christmas trees and space heaters and holiday decorations, candles, uh, how to get home from those holiday parties safely. And she gave a range of choices for all of these things. And of course, home security while you are traveling. Again, we thank Jody Saunders so very much for being on the show. And Jody, we wish you and Lee and Albemarle County all the very best, okay? My pleasure. You take care. Bye now. You too. Bye-bye. Stay with us as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Sometimes children lie, but how can we tell? Many of the Danish films we love take on difficult subjects. They seem to watch without judgment, the better to observe humanity in all of its complexity. Perhaps that is why we love them. In The Hunt, Mads Mikkelsen uses his characteristic reserved charisma to play Lucas, a well-respected kindergarten teacher. 
Lucas's life is finally on the upswing after a difficult divorce and custody battle, and he has found a promising new relationship. But it will not last. Lucas gives his students needed attention. He guides them, comforts them, helps them grow. Perhaps his genuine warmth is the source of the accusation. A needy little girl craves more and tells a story of inappropriate attention from her favorite teacher. How would you react? Your friend is accused of child abuse. Other children share their stories. Crowd hysteria, or is it? Can we know? This is the story of the effect such an accusation has on one man, his friends, his family, and his community. As in life, guilt or innocence is blurred. It is this realistic lack of clarity within a beautiful package of filmmaking that brings special gravitas to this extraordinary film, The Hunt. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Remembering when time was of no consequence. I'm 30 years old today, and I wonder if my wish will come true now that she's gone. When I was three, my mother told me my father's heart had stopped working and we couldn't go back to our home to live for a while. When I was six, my mother met a man I liked a lot. I even offered to pay her five dollars if she would marry him. No matter how tired he was on a Saturday morning, he would get up early and color with me. He was always telling me smart things about people and living. But this story isn't really about the only man who was ever a dad to me. It's about his grandmama and me. You see, when I was seven or eight, I asked if he was God's best friend, and was that why he was so smart and always seemed to know just what to say, since he had never had any children of his own. Smiling, he joked that I had given him a rush-up crash course in parenting, but finally he admitted he had a secret well of wisdom that he would take me to on my tenth birthday. Nothing I could do would ever make him give me a ninth birthday hint or make my tenth birthday arrive a year or two earlier. But finally, I dashed headlong, squealing into the day before Halloween 1985. I was finally in the double digits, ten at long last, and off we went on a mysterious subway ride that in many ways I am still on, traveling around the world, still searching to see if it was more than just a story for my journal or the memory of an ancient woman under a tree in the Bronx. Her house was simple, but an extremely large flowing breeze of paintings, mirrors, sculptures, Brahms and Mahler, windows and bellowing shears and squirrels, white ones, everywhere. When we arrived at the back veranda, all of Riverdale lay before us like a painting Monet had hidden away for special admirers, and there in the midst of it sat the well of wisdom. He told me she was ninety. At ten, I couldn't possibly imagine anyone over fifty years old. Even my grandparents were in their sixties, and it seemed to me they could hardly see or hear. 
As we got closer and closer to the chair under the tree, I put my hand in his. I admit I was a little afraid of Norman's mom from Cycle suddenly turning in her basement chair to greet us. But she didn't. Maybe she's deaf, I thought, making my heart pound even more. Then suddenly the wind sang through the branches above us, and the sound of a voice from the chair filled in the harmony. Without the slightest glance in our direction, she whispered, What a lovely great-granddaughter you will be when you're thirty. He stopped walking and allowed my hand to slip from his, as if the last few steps were a test of courage I had to manage on my own. I was nonetheless drawn to her, unaware of anything but the wind in her long gray hair and in the tree limbs above us. Just before I stepped around in front of her, she whispered, My, my, but you are tall for ten. Seeing her face come into view ever so slowly with each tiny step I made, more hesitantly now, I was overcome. Although she was the oldest human being I had ever seen in my life, her smile, dancing eyes, flowing hair, and then gentle touch made me feel instantly, this is what I want to be like when I grow up. I mean, after I get old, really old. Every move of her hands or glance of her eyes was as much poetry as a spring sunset and as refreshing as the first sounds of fall. I finally managed to stop staring and squeeze out, Hello, my name is... She joined in as we whispered my name in gentle chorus. Instantly I knew this would be unlike any other birthday. I looked away for a moment, not certain what to say next, but all I saw was white squirrels dancing about. He had disappeared into the house, I suppose. She brought me back with, so here we are, two birthday girls. It was her ninetieth, and my tenth, and still I had no idea how connected we would be for the rest of my life. Shall we dance to celebrate our new year of life together, she teased. My silent reaction seemed to delight her, for after she laughed ever so softly, she proclaimed, Oh yes, I can still dance whenever I want. Then gently tapping her right temple, she added, Right here. There were many beautiful stories on every birthday visit for the next nine years, and then she was one hundred, and I twenty. It was the last birthday we spent together, and the memories of it propel me still, always forward, searching for her secret place, and always inward, to all the love and humanity with which she knitted my heart and mind and soul together, as forever united with her own. Happy one hundredth, I beamed, arriving at her chair under the tree. It will be now, she said, smiling warmer than ever. Then announcing that today is a most special birthday for you, my dear. So special because now I can give you a gift I have been saving for you since October 30th, 1975. Even at twenty, I couldn't help but tingle in anticipation, as was all too obvious to the lady who had become, in more ways than I was capable of imagining then, my great-grandmama. My dear, she beckoned, 
Come closer than ever before. You must listen with more than your ears, she instructed. Then she launched into what would become the motivation of all my summer travels and explorations of discovery of who I am. It was the birthday of my life, she began. In a time before our world was a house divided against itself, before blue and red states, before fear replaced wisdom in our reasoning, before the poetry of communion and the harmony of communication were replaced by notes of discord, before war became a right of might, there was a time so long ago that it was before time was even noticed, and in this time there was freedom and love and peace between all people near and far. It was the time of human nature. In this time before time was of any consequence, there was a precious miracle high in the secret hills surrounded by the flowing green of nature's greatest forest. It was the great forest country of the Chosen Ones. Sadly, like many such civilizations in time, the miracle was taken for granted and little by little allowed to slip away in the chilling wind of winter. So tarnished it became that Mother Nature herself decided it was time to do what you might call a makeover, and soon the great forest and its chosen ones were no more. After twice as many years as I am old today, a young prince, the seventh in his family, set out in the great unknown beyond his father's kingdom to find his own path in the world and perhaps create his own kingdom. Like the great princes of the Old Testament, he was followed by many loyal to him who wished to marry their hopes and dreams to his own. Many of the finest craftsmen and artists had elected to follow the seventh prince on his journey of discovery, but none so important to him as the beautiful woodcarver's daughter. For over a year they searched for what only the prince knew, until one day they realized they were in the midst of a great dead forest, where birds no longer sang and deer no longer grazed with their fawns, where nothing of color or life could be seen. Even the great bears who walked the earth never ventured there. Shocking all who were with him except the lovely woodcarver's daughter, the seventh prince issues his first proclamation. Here in this place of death we will bring new life and hope. Here we will build a new country of laws, equality, and freedom. Let us begin with a giant circle of trees to unite and protect us, but always leaving room for new life to grow. Now, a year later, high on a hill at sunset, the Prince Ingvar pledged his love forever to the woodcarver's daughter and asked for her hand in marriage. She agreed to be the prince's bride. From such a vantage point and after a long, intense gaze into the deep brown eyes of his bride-to-be, the prince was struck with another great idea, something that would be his second important venture of this day. He told his darling in the warm sunset of a proclamation he would make on the morrow. Soon after the sunrise the next morning, people began to gather to work, only to see the young prince waiting for them at the unfinished gate. As the giant circle of trees nears its completion, I, your prince, proclaim, our new country should be a republic, where all 
calls creatures on earth, human or otherwise, be treated with respect and extended equal privileges in their time here on earth. This, he explained, meant that all the animals, bird, fish, trees, mountains, lakes, everything of earth and on earth will be granted the same status as human life. It will be called the Republic of Reason, and the first ceremony to dedicate the great gate to our new republic will be my marriage to the beautiful woodcarver's daughter, Elise. All in the town cheered the wonderful wedding news and began to decide just who would be best to sit and deliberate the future of their infant republic. Soon it was decided that the seventh prince should be elected the first king of the Republic of Reason. So it was written and so it was done by majority vote all but one. As a wedding present, the woodcarver personally placed the grand finishing touch to the great gate of the Republic, an elaborately ornamented ark of freedom filled with the lifelike carvings from all of nature. It was now ready for the new king's dedication and marriage to his daughter. And so with the beginning of so many dreams and memories of love, joy, freedom, and harmony with each other and all of nature, as the natural cycle of birth and departure continued, it finally came to pass that the needs of the citizens outgrew the grand 100-year-old wooden gate to the Republic, or so the new government said, especially the head of tourism and real estate development, the descendant, by the way, of the only vote against the original king. So with only six months before the 100th anniversary of the great gate of the Republic of Reason, the new young king was approached by a committee of the whole, strongly insisting on the demolition of the great gate and the hundred-year-old ark under which his great-great-grandparents were married. A new larger gate of steel, iron, and brick is needed to attract wealthier tourists and their large carriages and the equipment needed to develop the natural resources of our great forest. It is time to ally ourselves with the powers across the great water to the west, and such a new massive gate will need to be armed with devices and guards to record all who enter or leave and when, for our own protection, warned the tourism director before an assembly of the king and the committee of the whole. The new king is very young, but wisdom reigns in his genes. He requests a 48-hour period of national contemplation to entertain how such a change in their history can accommodate their future while respecting their past. All save the chairman of tourism and real estate development agree that this is a reasonable approach to such an undertaking. So it is thus decreed throughout the land, all all citizens of the Republic of Reason are asked to send the young king their very highest and best thoughts and feelings for his response to the government. Ascending the very hill where his great-great-grandfather proposed marriage to his great-great-grandmother, and where first the idea of a republic was born in the mind of his ancestor King Ingvar, he wished just a little that the idea of a republic had never been born. Still knowing that life is change, and without change life becomes death, he kneels facing the setting sun and searching both the heavens and his heart, knowing before 
the next sunset he must find the answer to all answers. It is for this that he was born to be king. special hilltop of his ancestors and is greeted by thousands of citizens of reason who anxiously await his answer to the government proposal or wonder if he can convince the committee of the whole of any alternative plan finally when all are silent the young king speaks with the clarity and wisdom of his forefathers our ancient great gate will not be demolished for its significance to our history as a people can never be replaced. It shall stand always as a reminder of the strength and faith of those who saw life where there was only death, and who long before us provided a place on this planet just for us. When the director of tourism and real estate development stepped forward to protest, the young king with a raised hand continued. We will seal the great gate for all time and preserve it as it has served us for 100 years. And simultaneously, we will build an even larger modern gate on the opposite side of our encircled republic. This new gate on our northern border will welcome in our ever-increasing growth, development, and future citizens with great celebration. The people so hailed the great wisdom of the young king that no one could hear the agitated discussion that the director of tourism and real estate development was having with the committee of the whole. By the time the crowd of proud citizens began to settle, young King Torben was continuing with tremendous oratory describing how the new gate would be heralded into the fabric of their great civilization. On the anniversary date of our republic, he began, we will celebrate both the old and new gates with pageantry of dancers and parades of all our citizens, both human and animal, all accompanied by concerts of nature's best singers and the finest instrumentalists from across the great water. On this day every year, our new gate will open to all who wish to become citizens of the Republic of Reason. It will be declared a day of welcome and sharing with the world, and all all who enter will be joined by us in a procession of world peace and prosperity. From our regions in the East will come the great scholars and educators of our university to poetically pen a recording of this new expansion of our harmonious open society. And from our Western regions will come the great artists and craftsmen who will, in stone and on canvas, emulate the happiness and joy proclaimed by each anniversary celebration. From our new North Gate, all new arrivals will be greeted by citizens of reason who will will escort them through seven days of parades and celebration to the great old southern gate, where all our spiritual leaders will gather to bless each and every one of us with the very highest and best oneness with all 
all of nature and with only good things and happy times. And in honor of our past, on this same day every year, all who wish to marry or renew their vows will be invited to do so under the Ark of Freedom of our old Southern Gate. As the entire republic was already preparing for the upcoming 100-year anniversary of the old gate, the young king's plans could be brought to life with perfect timing, just in time for the traditional anniversary. But the king had one more surprise announcement. And now, I give you the crowning jewel of the expansion and ever greater observance of our beginnings, a new royal wedding. For more than a year now, I have loved in secret one who walks among us in serene beauty. I now propose that in six months, on the anniversary of its first wedding, we seal the grand old southern gate with a new anointment of blissful love that recalls its coronation as the gateway of our land of freedom and harmony. If she will but join me in sharing the secret of our love for one another, I will ask the daughter of our esteemed Director of Tourism and Real Estate Development to join me in holy wedlock on the very spot that our nation's founders sealed our future with a loving kiss. Elise, will you marry your king and be queen of our republic? Well, before the flushed, shy Elise could even respond, her eyes revealed the truth of her love. However, as she began to take a timid step toward the young king, her father, the director of tourism and real estate development, lunged forward to block her way. Then reeling toward the king, he opened his mouth to roar his objections. But just then, Mother Nature once again intervened in the great forest country of the Chosen Ones. Suddenly, white squirrels appeared. There must have been a hundred of them. Children terrified their parents by running to pet them. Parents grabbing their children who screamed in disappointment, retreated in shock over the sight of so many squirrels of any color in one place. All the white squirrels seemed to be coming from around, above, and even under the old southern gate behind the startled king. Immediately, the committee of the holes scurried away, and even the director of tourism and real estate development was speechless. For now, the white squirrels were surrounding the director and separating him from his daughter, while Elise was being gently herded by the little darlings to the side of the king, a number of the bushy-tailed arrivals were running up and down the director's body, forcing him to back away and finally fall to the ground. Many citizens began to observe as they allowed their children to slip away from their protection for a closer peek at the awesome sight that once in the arms of her king, the white squirrels proceeded to encircle the two young lovers in a way that resembled the great trees that encircled and protected the Republic of Reason. The king asked that the director be helped to his feet, and with the sound of his voice, the squirrels left the director and joined their comrades on and around the great old gate and in the circle around the soon-to-be new royal couple. Only the director and the king seemed to notice that the carved squirrels in the great old gate were missing. With this, the king turned to the director to ask for his daughter's hand, and under the circumstances, the director wisely agreed. The crowd cheered louder than ever, and the children danced about imitating the squirrels. And so the six-month engagement and construction of the new northern gate began. Ah... 
Such a heavy sigh interrupted my great-grandmama's birthday story. What is it? I asked. No answer. Please don't stop now. What happened to the new royal couple? Slowly she reopened her eyes and looked deeply into mine, and with a sense of mission began anew. Six months later, as the new clock tower struck nine in the morning, September 25th, 1903, the 100th anniversary of the first royal wedding at the old southern gate, the new northern gate was opened for the first time, and what greeted the welcoming citizens of reason was a spectacle they could not have possibly imagined. The throng of the multitude of people and animals waiting to enter was staggering, just in sheer numbers, but when the king signaled the trumpeteers atop the gigantic new shiny steel doors, and they answered his royal gesture with ear-rattling blasts from their trumpets, the Republic of Reason received a friendly invasion of a world of naturalists, travelers, adventurers, real estate developers, hunters, dignitaries, oil men, and, of course, curious tourists. They came on horseback, camelback, in huge carriages, several on elephants from India, and then great automobiles with bearded drivers. The huge wave of arrivals were directed and escorted by selected citizens of reason on the epic parade along Concert Way to Toward the old southern gate ten miles away, with circus entertainers leading the tumultuous gathering. With all the performances, events, sights, and wonders along the way, it was a parade that was expected to last until dusk, just in time for the young king and his bride to be wed in the glow of pre-sunset, and to have their union celebrated with hundreds of fireworks that would light up the sky for hours thereafter. It would be a glorious bridge uniting the old with the new, and with the new queen would come an heir born out of tradition to lead the Republic into a new, unknown world. But I'm getting ahead of myself, great-grandmama confessed, for just as the king had decided he would proceed ahead of the throng to review final wedding preparations with his attendants, the trumpeters split the air again with a musical fanfare fit for a king, and rightly so. For as the king turned to see what had caused such a musical proclamation without his ordering it, in rolled King Edward VII of England, in an enormous carriage bedecked with more jewels than the entire royal treasury of reason could boast, pulled by eight magnificent horses of obvious superior breeding. The king of reason was, of course, honored and pleased, but most surprised. Yet this moment passed quickly, as shortly behind the king of England, the young king thought he recognized a man on horseback. The familiar-looking presence became ever more so, with each step of his anxious steed straining against his mighty hold on its rein. He had the look of a man in command, and he was followed both by a larger-than-life automobile and an iron machine of some kind with what looked like a cannon sticking out of it. Behind that, at least a hundred men in uniform marching in perfect columns. As the horsemen rode further within reason, those closest to the king asked, 
Who is he, sire? The king, although young in years, spent much of his time reading about the outside world, especially of the great powers across the great water, which he now knew was called the Atlantic Ocean. Seeing the monocle convinced him, and he whispered to his attendants, It is the American president, Theodore Roosevelt, a man who loves and respects nature and the wild as much as we revere it. He is most welcome in our republic. All began to cheer as the American leader dismounted to pay his respect to the king, and then gestured an offer to the king to ride with him in his splendid automobile. With one condition the young but wise king responded, Yes, your majesty, what else may I offer, asked the president, that your rolling box with the cannon remain outside the walls of my kingdom. With a loud, boisterous laugh and through a grin a mile wide, President Roosevelt shouted, Bully! And so it was ordered. What a day this had become, the young king thought as he rode with the great leader from across the ocean, and how wonderful it would be to have his wedding be the seal of so great a marriage of past and future. Later, after the vows were mutually promised, the loving kiss completed, and the fireworks streaking across the heavens, the king spoke to his people and all their guests of peace, freedom, and love for all here present, both seen and unseen, happily ending with, Now on to the great wedding feast. As the royal carriage transported the new queen and her king and husband to the royal feast, she asked, What do you know of this American president, my king? I know his love for trees, mountains, lakes, and free open territory equals our own. But please go on, my husband, the new queen encouraged. But he loves killing wild animals, the king whispered softly. After a moment of confusion and shock at the inconsistency, the new queen pronounced, Then you have much to teach him. The pride in her smile bolstered young King Torben as much as the memory of the line of kings and queens before him, all married at the great southern gate of his kingdom. The next seven days of celebration went by all too quickly, as time was now of some consequence, and little by little all of the heads of state, dignitaries, and most of the visitors had departed, all except the oil men and real estate developers, who had been in huddled meetings with the director of tourism and real estate development, and, of course, the committee of the whole, for most of the seven days of celebration within reason. Time, they said, was of the essence. Although King Torben and Queen Elise knew it was inevitable that her father and the Committee of the Whole would insist on more and more changes in the Republic of Reason, for now they were lost in their love for each other and their desire to continue the line of royalty with an heir. It proved to be quite a challenge with two bitter disappointments, but finally on October 30th, 1905, an heir was born to the King and Queen of the Republic of Reason. But it was a girl, beautiful and loved truly, but a girl nonetheless. Never in a hundred years had there not been a king of the Republic. The queen was worried about the future of her child, but King Torben reminded her that this was the great period of change for the Republic, a time of rediscovering and redefining itself to an ever wider and expanding world beyond its great circle of trees. 
So as both proud father and wise leader, King Torben announced that his daughter would be named after the most courageous woman he knew, his wife, and recognized for now as a rightful heir to his throne. The people of reason loved their king and his traditions, and with their cheers and prayers, they were delighted to love their new princes as they did her mother, Queen Elise II. None, however, were as delighted as the director of tourism and real estate development. The great lady in the chair under the tree stopped her story now and bade me go home and write down all I could remember of it, for the writing and rereading of it will keep me alive and will lead you to your own discoveries. With that she gave me a sealed envelope, adding that you will know the right time to open it, but not today. And then our last birthday visit was over. I was torn between wanting to stay and racing home to write down all I could remember in my journal, a journal I had started just for her and me on my tenth birthday. However, as I could see she was tired, I kissed her gently on the cheek and made my way back to the large house that still held such fascination for me. It wasn't until I got to the veranda that I realized something and quickly turned to see that I had just walked through a yard filled with white squirrels dancing all about the great lady in the chair under the tree. Epilogue Now, ten years later, somewhere high in the hills of Bavaria, I think I still continue recording my search in my journal, starting more than a quarter of a century ago. It's not that I expect to find a Shangri-La, but having opened the sealed envelope on my 30th birthday, I am positive that the Republic of Reason existed, and that I was blessed with the opportunity to share the last years of its last princess, who undoubtedly has returned to the place where time is of no consequence. Mm -hmm.